Hi, I'm Paul Nerland, and I'm here with Kyle Goodwin and John Bradford, and we are your hosts of the Exhorter Podcast, where we aim to stir up love and good works through bite-sized biblical discussion. First, we're so glad that you could join us for this episode, and we have an interesting topic for you for this episode. I'm going to hand it over to John to introduce it. So, John, what do we have for this episode? Okay, so if you clicked on this episode, you were probably uh, interested in maybe the topic or the title of this one. Is this like an episode of CSI ripped from the headlines? Ripped from the headlines, Something exactly. Something that catches your attention. Well, so, I'm no stranger to the attention-catching sermon title mm-hmm. myself. Yeah, well, I like clickbait when you can use it. So the topic in which I'm referring to is cancel culture. Now, when you think of cancel culture, what is it that you think about? What comes to mind first? The first thing that comes to my mind with cancel culture is it's a graceless concept. Okay. It, 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 it creates situations where we all make mistakes. Sometimes people do things intentionally, and we don't want to confuse calling someone out for something that is offensive with holding something over someone's head that was a mistake years ago. So that's usually where my mind goes to on the idea of cancel culture. It's the idea of there is no grace. You said something that uh, crossed a line and there is no forgiveness for it. You have to uh, lose your you have to lose your job, you have to lose your credibility, you have to pay a price to society, uh, but there's no forgiveness for it. Yeah, that's right. And that's a great synopsis. I would say cancel culture isn't even new. It's just been kind of thrust in the spotlight a lot more in the last few years. Where have we seen this the most? Well, I think we see it in, in, in Hollywood. We see it in politics. And often it's from someone who has said they believe in something or this is important to them. And then something comes out from their past, something they said, something they did. And maybe it was 20 years ago, maybe it was five years ago, but based on a comment that sometimes is taken out of context, um, they are, quote, canceled. All right. So what does this have to do with with our podcast? Where, where am I going with this? Um, where are you going Yeah, with I know. This? Where am I going? So our topic today isn't about cancel culture in the media. It's about cancel culture in the church. Does it exist? Do you see it anywhere? And if so, where? So, John, I don't know if you're asking about because when I, cancel culture to me is a, a negative thing. So when you're talking about within the church, I assume are you, you're asking about judgment for people that are, is not justified, not what the church would do rightfully. And so when I hear you say that, um, where I see it the most uh, is online and in social media. And so someone's getting on social media, uh, they have a strong opinion about you know an issue. And if someone disagrees with them, it's easy to, quote, cancel someone because I disagree with you or I will say it online in a different way. So where I've seen probably Christians in particular have the most judgment that seems akin to cancel culture is online, in particular on social media. Yeah, we're not specifically talking about an authorized church discipline. We're talking about how we communicate and how we interact with our brethren. So to your point there, Paul, what are some topics that you've seen this around? During the COVID-19 pandemic, whether you wear masks or not sure. and, yeah. and how that relates to the church, that became an issue for which uh, people, churches split over that, unfortunately. And that attitude and how people handled it sometimes was reminiscent of cancel culture. 
Yeah. Well, in the 2020 election, I only bring this up because 2024 is going to come before you know it. And I believe the same situation is going to occur. You're going to be asked who you're going to vote for, and you'll be challenged. How can you conscientiously vote for this person if you're a Christian? Or how can you possibly vote for someone that holds those values? Right. Those are two very tangible, relevant examples. Uh, The pandemic and politics, um, we've seen a lot of divisions. We've seen a lot of disagreements around those two. So I think we've all seen this a lot when people's views don't align and we stop the work. We stop the work to understand and listen to each other. And what comes a lot easier is to push back and reject those views. Now, this is where we might make a distinction between canceling because of opinion or doctrine. But I don't want to make that distinction right now because I believe the way that we interact with our brethren is doctrine, and I don't think we can forsake one doctrine over the other. Now, growing up in the church, we are taught that the most important thing is to be correct, is to be right on doctrine. And I agree with that. I think that it's so important to make sure that we are rightfully dividing God's word. We have scriptural authority for all the things that we do and say, but not the forsaking of other doctrine, doctrine that tells us and teaches us how to relate to one another and the kinds of relationships we are to have with our brethren. Just as we are responsible to rightfully divide and understand and promote sound doctrine, we also have responsibilities to our brethren. Now, I'm just going to jump into the deep end here with an example, and we'll bring up uh, drinking. Now, based upon where you've grown up, based upon what you've been taught in the church, drinking is one of those hot topics. Drinking is highly argued upon, and there is much disagreement on whether drinking is a sin or is just getting drunk a sin or where the lines are when it is coming to alcohol and drinking of it. Now, I was raised all my life that drinking was wrong, and there are hardly any good things that came from drinking. I was taught that drinking was a sin. And so I've never had a drop of alcohol in my life. But I do know other brethren that have, and I know other brethren that don't have the same perspective on doctrine or belief that I do about drinking. Now, here's my point. There are many like me who can be completely aligned 95% with another brother in the church. But that one topic can drive a wedge. That one topic can feel so weighty and feel so important that it divide those two brethren. I've seen this topic and topics like this, marriage, divorce, and remarriage, become driving wedges between brethren to which that they don't even have any relationship. They don't associate with one another. They, for all intents and purposes, have canceled that person from their lives because they do not agree and they do not align on everything. That 5% disagreement between brethren has been enough to divide them, has been enough for churches to split, has been enough for people to leave congregations, which is just crazy sometimes to think about because I can have a 5% alignment with someone in the world or someone at work and have a decent or great relationship with them. But this 5% difference within the church that's a line in the sand. It sounds to me, John, like what you're talking about is a is a double standard that we as Christians may sometimes employ, that we would treat someone outside the church differently, but inside the church, if we've got a difference of opinion on something like that, that we may discount someone, uh, not even talk to them about it potentially, but outside we may have a different standard. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. And sometimes this double standard can give us this false justification for 
canceling that person, canceling them from your life or canceling them from your obligations, your responsibilities to your brethren. Now, in the past, this was me. I felt like there were barriers in between other brethren that I didn't align or agree with on doctrine. And I put up those barriers. I didn't seek out a relationship with those people. Now, I would love to encourage everyone to evaluate your relationships with people. Are there people that you have held at arm's length? Are there people that you know that you don't agree with on doctrine and that you have kind of canceled from your efforts, canceled from your view? I understand it's hard to switch gears. It's hard to do something that you've done differently all your life or in the past. But let's talk about three reasons why we should open those relationships. Why, If we've ever canceled someone from our lives, why we should reevaluate that. So I love grabbing outside resources and examples and stories and kind of applying them to my thinking on scripture. Now, I got these three reasons from a, a TEDx talk by Betty Hart, whose topic was about healing cancel culture in our society. I think these three topics are very applicable to our relationships within the church. So the first point she brings up is people don't stay the same. People change over time, and we should give people grace to change. Now, does that happen with us? Do we ever change our perspective on God's word and um, doctrine over time? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and and that's that's a great a great point there. Um, exactly where my mind runs to every time the topic of cancel culture comes up is: Do we really want to live in a society where there is no grace? I I, I think people like the idea of holding someone accountable, but I think I don't think we're going to like this uh, when it's our turn when people turn on us and we'll want grace in that situation. Definitely. I think, John, what what I think about is whenever we begin to think that way ourselves, like we want to cancel someone that disagrees with us, I think we are forgetting about our own sin and the humility that we should have. Um, if we have disagreement, unfortunately, a lot of times the experience that I've had is the brother or sister with whom I may disagree or maybe they disagree with me, um, I've heard about it but not from them. There's right. been no discussion to say, hey, you know, can we open the Bible and talk about this? And the other thing is we've got Christians who are new to the faith. They're, they're brand new, and they may not have all the details of biblical knowledge as they learn and they grow themselves. So I think your point is well taken that, you know, we're going to change our minds, and hopefully that's as you learn the Bible, but you better come at it with an attitude of grace, as Kyle said, but also an attitude of humility of we're just sinners who know where to find grace and forgiveness. And that's why we're here. As soon as we forget that, I think we've got big problems. That's a great point. And it harkens back to your point about having that double standard. Now, the second point she brings up is if we cancel someone, we can't learn from them. And I think that that's a good point too. Of course, she's talking about society and learning about people and being empathetic. But as we make application to us within the church, It'd be pretty arrogant to think that we could get to heaven on our own, that we can't learn from each other, and that we don't need that exhortation from one another. I mean, the whole reason why we are a church is God knew that we would need that support, and we would need the opportunity to learn from one another. Well, we need to allow people the freedom to develop their faith in their time. We need to meet people where they are. Uh, when somebody is violating doctrine, that's another consideration. But but I've had this 
I've had experiences in, in my past where I think it'd be fair to say I was canceled at a very young age. And I knew getting into preaching, uh, you needed to be able to defend what you what you preach. You needed to be able to defend your understanding of doctrine. And I knew that I needed to have thick skin because I would be criticized from time to time. There would be people who would disagree with the things I, I would preach, or they would disagree with my perspective or understanding of the scriptures. But at a very young age, there were some things that came up. And by some people, I was essentially canceled because as a 20-year-old, I hadn't you know, without the benefit of 70 years of, of reading and studying that some of these people had, I hadn't come to the same conclusions that they had. Uh, I, I felt at that point, give me some time to think about these things. Give me some time to work through my faith. Uh, uh, my positions might change. My beliefs might change. Uh, it's certainly making it harder for me to consider your instruction or your point of view by the harshness that, you, that you've treated me with. But um, so I, I, I've experienced some of this myself uh, in, in points of doctrine where I've, I've changed quite a bit over the years. You know, John and Kyle, I, I'm reminded uh, years ago, I read the book by Ed Harrell called Churches of Christ in the 20th Century. It also talks about Homer Haley. But in the book, you know, most of it is about these, these written periodicals and magazines that were in the church during a lot of the the history in the last hundred years. I've and gone it, back and read a lot of those issues, exchanges between preachers. It's actually very discouraging to very me. Very discouraging. It's, it's discouraging. And if you want to talk about cancel culture, they canceled each other, you know, every other issue. And then they would respond and, uh, you know, preachers or even churches were quote canceled in, in some of these magazines. So if you read that, you know, Kyle, to your point, um, it, it was somewhat depressing because that was that attitude. I don't think helped the church. It divided the church, uh, and it certainly to me wasn't something that, although may have been well intended, they had good intentions. They thought very similar to to Paul, really. Before he, you know, he thought he was doing the right thing, but the the attitude in which they were doing it was very reminiscent of cancer culture today. Well, and that I was always reminded every time I read exchanges like this. By the way, you ever met? Ed Harrell? Yes, I have. I, I'm convinced that guy has forgotten more things than I've ever learned in my life. He is a smart and very intelligent person. But I'm always reminded uh, every time I'd read exchanges like that in old periodicals uh, of this occurrence in Mark chapter 9, where John, uh, in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 38, John answers Jesus and says, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbid him because he does not follow us. And Jesus responded, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can and soon afterwards speak evil of me for he who is not against us is on our side. Now, this isn't trying to say that someone in an entirely different denomination teaching things that are plainly false doctrine, we just get along with them because they, they worship the same person named Jesus as we do. That's not what it's teaching. I think this is probably, you know, we have the 12 apostles, but this is probably one of the 70 chosen by Jesus and sent out to preach. This person can do miracles. Obviously, they have some connection. This might even be Matthias, who would become an apostle later, for all we know. Um, but the point here is, John seems to be a little bit defensive of his position, and he's almost trying to cancel this other guy. And Jesus says, he's doing a good thing. He's not speaking evil of me. He's definitely on our side. You're misguided, John. John, why don't you just worry about John and let this guy worry about himself? Or let me worry about everyone, and it's not your job, John. Yeah, sometimes we all fall into this rut where we are elevating one need and one perspective over another. But we should all understand we are at different levels of maturity. We all have different perspectives, and we all have a different walk. 
Um, so we need that grace and we need that understanding as we walk together. So the third and last point about why we shouldn't cancel our brethren, cancel those people and hold them at arm's length is, and that is if we cancel and we push people away, we won't be there to sow those seeds of change within that person or others. For example, if you feel that you have a strong conservative and true perspective of God's word, but your cancellation of one or others remove you from an opportunity to teach that perspective and to be there and to give your understanding of God's word, then nothing will ever change. I think that's a good point, John. And when you when you think about if you want to affect change, but you've got to do that, you've got to engage with your brethren. You've got to talk to your brethren. And I think a lot of times we get really brave on social media and we'll say what we believe and we'll, you know, unfriend people or or say comments to people behind a computer or on our phones. But rarely will we actually just talk to someone and say, hey, we've got a different opinion on this. Uh, can we open our Bibles and just, can we talk about it? And that's something that we just don't see enough of. Well, if you read through Revelation chapter two and chapter three, the letters to the seven churches, essentially all of these churches get a negative report from Jesus. Most all of them get a very negative report. But in each of these churches, there's a handful of faithful. If you read through those chapters, what you won't find is Jesus telling the faithful to depart, go start a different church somewhere else, go to a different church across town. You have the encouragement to stay strong, stay faithful, keep being faithful, but you don't see the encouragement to depart. That's right. We, we don't have any scriptural example for walking away, but we do have very good scriptural examples like that in Ephesians 4. Now, this TED Talk where I got these three points from, its main point and learn is that compassion is the way that you heal society from this idea of cancel culture. Now, this idea, I think she must have gotten this learned straight out of the Bible because in Ephesians 3, 1 through 3, it says just that. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, one of the things I love about the scripture the most, ESV, it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. But in the New King James Version, it says, long-suffering, bearing one another in love. I just love that word, long-suffering. And I think it's a great word to use when we are talking about our relationships with brethren, our relationships with brethren where we have disagreement. We are to suffer long with them, finding a resolution from God's word, studying with one another, bearing with one another in love. Well, when you look at the list of the apostles, you'll find Matthew the tax collector and Simon the Zealot. What you have is a right-wing, super-conservative Republican and a far-left liberal Democrat is the modern equivalent. The tax collectors were agents of the Roman government and hated by the average Jew, partly because what they did was literal highway robbery. And the zealots were extremely against, even to the point of violence, the idea of the Roman government. They're at extreme opposites of the political spectrum. Yet Jesus tells them in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples 
If you have love for one another, what is the world going to think of Christ? That's the ultimate responsibility. We have a responsibility to one another, but our ultimate responsibility is to Christ and what will glorify him in his church. What is the world going to think of Christ's church if he sees us canceling one another, if he sees us holding on to these lines that divide us? Jesus says, this is the characteristic that will define you as one of my followers when people see that you have love for one another. Now, that's a great point. How do we put on that characteristic? How do we actually go about our daily lives and have those kinds of relationships? How do we put away these disagreements? John, for me, if I go back to that passage, you just I go ahead a few verses to, to verse 7, and it reminds us when it says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so we are equally in need of the grace of, of Jesus, and that reminds us of it. And so every time we deal with these issues, um, remember that. We are, we are all in the same boat. We need him just as much. And so to me, that verse reminds me of that. Well, thank you, John, for that great topic. It was some wonderful discussion, and I hope it's been encouraging to you, a very applicable topic, something that we think about often with all the examples we see in the news. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, we hope that you'll like and subscribe so that you'll get our newest content as we produce it every week. And we hope you'll tune in again.